So, this is Reverend Mary Ellen Swartz. I'm an ordained unity minister. And I wanted to share some thoughts on uh, the parables of Jesus. And for me, uh, these are so important in understanding his teachings because parables make up over one-third of his recorded teachings. And so, to me, it seems important to relook at them frequently and always be open to new levels of understanding. A parable, as we all realize, is really a um, short allegorical story that's designed to illustrate or teach a truth or a principle or a moral lesson. And one theme may have many levels of meaning. And so that's why um, I tell myself that there there are at least 144 different levels of meaning in each parable. And I tell myself this so that I always keep open and I keep receptive and, and, and interested and, um, and, and searching, seeking. And I like to think of the parables of Jesus as somewhat provocative. In other words, they challenge or, or they provoke a reaction. Uh, it, it seems like each of his parables uh, are kind of designed to challenge uh, the the student, the reader, um, the hearer, to find a different level of meaning within the story, how to apply it on different levels. So today I wanted to share the parable that's referred to as either the wise and foolish maidens or the ten vir virgins. Uh, this parable, by the way, is found in the 25th chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 13. Now, I note that the parables uh, that Jesus gives always seem to be about explaining the kingdom. And so he likens the kingdom to different things and and how finding it is sort of like some different things that might be understood in one's life so he explains the kingdom in this parable by likening it to a wedding now the theme and the setting is a very happy time for a bride and groom and all those who were invited uh, Dr. Lamza, who translated the Bible from the original uh, Aramaic into English, uh, was one who who lived and and um, experienced the kinds of experiences that uh, many of these parables seem to be centered around. So he said that weddings were a big part of the social life of an entire community. So. Like this would be like in a small village, not like a big city, but a, a small village where everybody knew each other. Uh, all the rel uh, everybody invited to this wedding were either relatives or or shirt tail relatives, you might say. And so, what it amounted to is just about everybody in the village got invited to this celebration. And so he explained that weddings were planned long in advance of the actual celebration. And so because of all the planning that it took, 
it, and people would uh, walk there probably, they would last longer than the weddings that we might be familiar with in our culture. So it would have been known by those hearing this parable for the first time that uh, Jesus was saying it was important to be prepared for a wedding, for going to a wedding. In other words, there would have been no street lights, no solar lamps along the path like we have today. The light would be from the individual lamps um, that people had. And so extra oil would have been important in order that the festivities could last throughout the night. Now, the traditional view of this um, is that it's about people not being prepared for a wedding, the outer view. So these 10 young women probably were relatives of either the bride or the groom, and they had the responsibility of greeting people and lighting the way of the bridal party. The day of the wedding was um, known, but not the exact time of the arrival because people would be coming from a distance or they'd be waiting for the their party to be together before they came. So in this parable, it says that five of the young women were prepared with extra oil for their lamps and five were not. And those who were not prepared had to go and find some more oil. But by the time they got back, the celebration had begun and the servants had already closed the doors to the area where, where the wedding was being, celebration was being held. Some have taken a literal view to, of this story. And maybe some of you can relate to this. But in my early life, I attended a very traditional Christian church. And I always loved the teachings of Jesus. But what I remember about this parable and what was taught to me at that time, which I then had to rethink, but what I was taught at that time was that it was really about the second coming and it was about the end of the world. And so, from that approach, um, the, the, the indication is that the kingdom was thought to be a literal place. Like, like we might say, like a, a piece of real estate somewhere up there. And so, from that viewpoint, um, it was sort of like this story was telling what would happen when Jesus comes again and people aren't prepared. That when Jesus comes again, there would be judgment, there would be a separation of those who are prepared from the unprepared, the saved from the unsaved, and the latter would be excluded from the kingdom, like the unwise virgins were excluded from the wedding celebration because they weren't prepared. So the bottom line, and this is what I heard as that uh, as a young person hearing this story. Be prepared or else. 
Repent today because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It might be the day that's been waited for for thousands of years. And if it is, and you aren't prepared, and Jesus returns, it's just going to be too late for you. You're going to be left behind. Uh, I have come to the conclusion that while this theology may have served some, and maybe it still serves some, probably does, uh, it doesn't serve me. Because what I have come to realize is that 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 approach is overlooking Jesus' teachings that the kingdom isn't here or there. It's not taking into account all the references that Jesus uh, makes to the kingdom being within, not without, but within. So since that childhood time, in that very traditional setting, I have matured physically, and I've also matured spiritually. And I, I know that everything serves a purpose, and I give thanks for that as uh, a stepping stone in my journey. But for me now, as I mature spiritually, I sense that this view of the parable being uh, about Jesus coming again and it's going to be too late if you're not prepared, etc., that this view is um, mainly based on the Western mindset and that we in the Western world tend to be more focused on the literal happenings. Just for example, uh, someone was reading a menu in a, a restaurant and it said that it was homemade pie. And this person was so literal, uh, he wanted to know whose home it was made in. So sometimes we get like that. We're, we're very focused on the literal. The Eastern mindset, and what we have to remember is the Bible came out of the Eastern uh, world. The Eastern mindset is more focused on the teaching within the story, not about it being a literal place or a little, literal person or a, a, a literal date or time or whatever. So understanding that, as I do now, uh, as I, as I grow spiritually, I would offer some things to consider that might be found within this parable. And maybe they will be helpful to you, or maybe not. But I offer them for your consideration. First of all, there are some numbers in this parable. Now, numbers, as well as names, always have meaning in Scripture. They always represent something. The number 10, for example, symbolizes completeness and power. And throughout the centuries, it's been regarded as the most perfect of numbers. For example, the Ten Commandments aren't just about ten do's and don'ts of living, but they actually represent divine law and comprehensiveness. We also might notice that Jesus used the number 10 in his teachings many times. 
find the parable for today. There's the 10, the number 10. There's another parable about a 10 uh, a talents that were returned to the faithful servant. And a, another parable about 10 lepers that were cleansed, and so on. And so the 10 actually represent divine law and comprehensiveness. And we can look at these other parables at another time. But what I suggest is that we consider that Jesus had a purpose for using the number 10. Now, first of all, the number 5. Its meaning is important because the number 5 is used over 200 times in Scripture. One of the most remembered uh use of the number five might be the story of young David, the shepherd boy, who, the story goes, chose five smooth stones with which to confront Goliath, the, the giant. And so if you've never wondered about this, consider why five stones? Why not four? Why not six? Perhaps it's because the number five is symbolic of the five senses and it can be a reminder of how the use of our five senses, in other words, how we use our five senses will be important in dealing with any symbolic giant we might be facing in our life or any looming challenge. And so it's over that challenge is overcome by the wise use of our senses, we could say. Also, the number five is the number of components necessary for manifestation. I'll say that again. Five is also the number of components necessary for manifestation. A good example of this would be the five porches that are around the pool of Bethesda and what that symbolized for healing. And so I find it interesting that Pythagoras thought of the number five as representing the marriage between heaven and earth. So this might all fit in with the parable that I'm sharing today. The five plus five can symbolize the marriage of the inner and the outer aspects of consciousness in our spiritual experience. The inner and outer marriage that it takes for us to have the manifestation that we are seeking. So the bottom line, as I see it for today's message, this parable, as with others, is really all about raising consciousness. Um, I sometimes say our senses have no sense. Um, our senses can be tricked with advertising, with um, things that maybe you remember an ad that, that you can squirt something and it will cover over the smell of garbage and people think they're in the middle of a flower garden and on and on and on. So what this reminds me is that we need to be aware of the powerful force 
that our senses are and how they impact our perception of reality. And when we realize the deep impact that they have, we can also realize that they are either serving us or they are hindering us in some aspect. So the wise virgins, they can represent our senses when we're focused on truth. We're focused on God reality. We're focused on one presence, one power in our lives. The unwise would be like our unwise use of the senses when we are uh, focusing them on the outside world of facts and appearances and prognosis and other people's judgments and so on. So the reminder might be that we want to be conscious and we want to be aware and we want to direct our senses so that they are working with us, that they are working uh, in, uh, in conjunction with our desire for spiritual awakening, spiritual quickening. Said another way, our five senses are wise when they're being focused inward. Our five senses are foolish when they're being focused outward. And what I believe this parable is explaining is the door to our understanding of the kingdom is shut when our senses are focused outward. When our senses are unenlightened but the door to our understanding of the kingdom is always open when our senses are focused within and they are having the light shined on them and through them. The oil in the story can represent spiritual understanding. Being prepared with plenty of oil could mean having our energies focused on the one thing that our soul desires. And the one thing that our soul desires is to greet the bridegroom, to greet the, the wedding, the, the combining of heaven and earth, to greet it. The parable reminds us of the importance of being watchful. Often, when we pray and ask for guidance, then if we aren't watchful and aware, we miss it when it shows up. We miss the signs. We miss the signals. It's sort of like the story of the person who asked God for help in a flood and then rejected all the help that came along. Sometimes we're like that. We have our mind made up how the help should look, you know, what color, what shape, what, what gender, uh, what size, etc., etc. So, um, it's important that we be watchful and aware when we ask for guidance. So, who is the bridegroom that we are waiting for and watching for? Well, it's not the historical Jesus. It's the Christ within. And this bridegroom, this inner bridegroom, comes not in judgment, but with an eternal invitation 
to experience the spiritual feast. The spiritual feast comes from knowing our oneness. We see it, we experience it, we partake of it. And that bridegroom, symbolic bridegroom, always welcomes us to deeper understanding of oneness. Oneness now, I might say, not in some future time when something happens or a certain date or whatever, but it, it always offers us deeper understanding in each moment of the now. Now let's consider what it might mean to be prepared. How do we begin to prepare for a consciousness of the kingdom within us? I was a part of Silent Unity, um, and Mae Rowland was the director at that time when I was at school. And she taught that prayer is a cumulative. I love this teaching, and it has served me so well. The energy of prayer accumulates in our consciousness. Let me say that again. The energy of prayer accumulates in our consciousness. Now, I love to remember this. I love to remember that the energy of prayer is a living energy. It's not stagnant, it's living. And it attracts and it accumulates more energy. And all of that energy is deposited in my consciousness, in your consciousness. It's like making deposits in our spiritual bank account that we can draw upon at any point. And what I really love about this concept, and I believe it's more than a concept, I believe it is a, an actual principle that works, and that is that when I hold others in prayer, even if they are not receptive, they don't even believe in prayer. They don't even believe that there is a positive, uplifting energy to prayer. It makes no difference. That energy is not lost. It's like it, it collects in, in an invisible way in their consciousness. And as soon as they are receptive, it rushes in. And, it, and they feel it. And that's what I believe uh, explains sometimes people who are new to uh, some spiritual concept and how they just latch on to it and they just go forward with it. And it's like we're left standing and wondering, how did that happen? I believe all that light and all that loving energy and all that uplifting energy just rushed in and they were receptive to it, and they felt it, and they went with it. Sometimes we remind ourselves that it's important to stay prayed up. And that's what I believe being spiritually prepared uh, involves. Like almost anything else, prayer takes practice. It takes speaking the word. It takes thinking the thought. It takes getting the feeling of the presence within us. And it all comes about through practice. We cannot get this out of a book. 
no holy book, I don't care whose holy book it is, will give it to us. It may speak of holy things, but it cannot give it to us. And so it's something that we begin to understand and put into practice. And something we may have noted from this parable, the oil or that spiritual preparedness cannot be given by another. In other words, the one said, well, give us some of your oil. And, and the other said, no, then we wouldn't have any. So it's like we each have to seek and find our own oil of preparedness. No one else can give it to us. The kingdom is within us. Jesus taught this in ever so many ways. The kingdom is within us. The kingdom of all good is within us. And we are eternally invited to that marriage celebration that is always taking place. The all good of God has been prepared for us. There's a scripture that says, Before they call, I have answered. And think about it. Before we ever ask, the answer is given. We are one with the answer that we are seeking. It's not outside of us. We are one with it now. There is something required of us, however. We must be prepared so that we can say yes to it. The kingdom of wholeness is already established. We have to say yes to it. The kingdom of abundance is already established, but we have to say yes to it. The kingdom of peace, of wisdom, of love, of joy, it already is established. No one has to come and make it, it already is. But we have to understand that and say yes to it. I wanted to close with a quote from Neil Donald Walsh, spiritual writer. He said, there's a chorus singing in you. If you listen, you will hear the music. Pay no attention to the sounds of the world. They're just noises and have no value and make no sense. Listen to the melody in your soul. Beloved, know that all good is prepared. Be open, be receptive. Know you are worthy, totally worthy and deserving of all the good that you desire. And in fact, it has already been given. God bless you and have a wonderful day.